matins, time, midnight, other names, vigils, nocturnes. Our lauds, time, 3 a.m., other names, dawn prayer. Our prime, time, 6 a.m., other names, first hour. Our terse, time, 9 a.m., other names, third hour. Our sext, time, noon, other names, sixth hour. Our nones, time, 3 p.m., other names, ninth hour. Our vespers, time, 6 p.m., other names, evening prayer. Our compline, time, 9 p.m., other names, night prayer. Part 1. Empathy The problem with being a neurosurgeon is that when the telephone rings, you have to answer it. When the phone by my bed went off at 3 a.m., I went straight from sleep to standing. The emergency room attending sounded like he was having a bad night. Dr. Trovato, Dr. Green here, area A. We've got an old lady with a cerebellar hemorrhage. She's unresponsive, and the CT scan looks nasty. How soon can you get in? Eight minutes. Call the OR. The pocket of skull housing the cerebellum is a dangerously small space with rigid walls. There is no room for an explosion of blood. The consequence is disaster. The brain gets pushed in the only direction possible, down through the foramen magnum, the big hole in the bottom of the skull, crushing the brain stem, the control center for all basic life functions. Unless a surgeon gets there in time. I drove to the hospital in the dark planning my approach. Amsterdam Avenue was quiet, with a few yellow cabs roaming for non-existent fares. I pushed my speed to hit all the green lights. I scrubbed in at the vast stainless steel sink and backed into the OR through the double doors. Linny, my favorite anesthesiologist, took her place at the patient's head opposite me while I pulled on surgical gloves. The anesthesiologist's job is to monitor every breath, heartbeat and rush of blood pressure through the vessels. Linny, smooth and quiet, signaled to me. Okay to cut. I looked at the back of the patient's neck, innocent, slightly wrinkled, hiding the catastrophe beneath. I made a quick incision on the back of the scalp, a few inches behind her ear, then running down the back of her neck, down through skin, then muscle, then picking up the craniotome, I sawed through bone. I sliced through the dura, exposing the cerebellum. There. As I scooped out the fresh clot, I felt suddenly short of breath. For a moment, I was drowning, flailing for the surface. Linny, I gasped. Is there a problem with the vent? Linny looked up at me, startled, and then at the monitors. Three seconds later, a long three seconds, the alarms started ringing. It was nearly noon before the patient opened her eyes, and by late afternoon, she was awake and holding her daughter's hand. I headed to the locker room to change. Beatrice, lunchtime, Linny said as we stripped off our gowns and shoe covers. I followed her to the staff cafeteria. Linny did not have conversations like other people. If I called her up and said, hi, how are you? She'd say, get to the point. We sat across from each other at a white melamine table. The cafeteria had aspirations of greatness it did not quite achieve. A letterpress sign read, 
Artisanal bread selection suspended over a basket of plastic-wrapped rolls, and the chef's suggestion of the day was unintentionally thrice-baked ziti. I had an apple. Beatrice, how did you know that woman was hypoxic? I felt like I couldn't breathe, I said, but I knew it was the patient. I hadn't realized this until I said it out loud. So what you are saying, Dr. Trovato, I knew I was in trouble now since we were no longer on a first name basis, is that you just knew? I just knew, I said. You should have had more than an apple, Linny replied, changing the subject with her usual abruptness. We've got five more cases today. She got up from the table, leaving me holding the apple core. I sat at the table for a few minutes after Linny had gone. Surgery seems so straightforward. Open someone up.